Hola, hello, welcome to another episode, the Quichual Talk series of bilingual Spanish-English conversation host and producer by Jarni Slovain. This episode, I am so happy and so grateful to connect with a, a very special person I just met last year, but I am so uh, touched by her uh, writing and lifestyle. So I must say that. So in this episode, it's the first episode of 2024, and it will be in English. As you know, sometimes I do episodes in my own language, Spanish, and other time in English, which I am Bear with me. Sometimes my pronunciation is terrible and my English is terrible sometimes, but we are here multilingual place. So without further ado, let me introduce my special guest, Nakja Loveu Hassar, who is a writer and author, the a beautiful wrestling uh, novel, The Nap Away Motel, And also she have a, a few uh, upcoming children chapter books as well. DC and me, which I, I am so excited to read because uh, it's um, fixing ways to love a mink. And I love mink, so I am already in, in that. Uh, Naka, let me say, uh, I am I invite Naka to this podcast because we met uh, in 2023 at the end of 2023. In a workshop I took, a, in a long workshop, it was eight weeks, a beautiful eight weeks. And I was so fascinated because her workshop was fully connected with the wild animals and the wild world. And we spent eight weeks talking about animals and it was the most beautiful week I spent in my whole life, <laughs> I must say. So, Nahad, it was a work before as a veterinarian. So we will talk about that today. And then she decided to turn fully the full-time author and writing and dedicate uh, to the writing and to be a, men a mentor and workshop facilitator, as I say, mentioned before. So she's a, a lifelong animal lover of course we will check that in this conversation and a long time big vegan um, her writing often explore that theme around the natural world and i will encourage you to check naha uh, website because it's she have a lot of beautiful uh, writing there Uh, she's very active in, in the world and, and I find fascinating how she wrote about animals that we, sometimes we are now appreciate so much, like a chicken or piggy and other animals. So, and also, I will say, let's go to say welcome Naha to this episode today. Mm. Well, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction, Yanis, and thank you so much, of course, for inviting me. It's uh, such a pleasure. 
my honor, my honor. I really, um, since we met, as I said before, I have been so fascinated with all the stuff that you do and follow you. And so it's an honor that you accept. So thank you so much. Before we start, let's go to start to talk back how a veterinarian, being in the world of veterinarian as a profession, a, help you to write these stories that you are now uh, in this world now? Mm, that's a really great question. So uh, I have a little bit of a, a troubled relationship with veterinary medicine. I will say that, um, you know, I grew up so fond of animals and with such an affinity for animals, but vet school itself was very difficult. Um, you know, and I got exposed to a lot of things that I wasn't prepared for, how animals are treated in, you know, the industrial factory farming system, and how animals are used in research. And of course, the university does a great deal of research on animals and with animals. And then probably the worst of it all was uh, the way that we were taught some things using healthy animals to, you know, learn surgery, for example. Um, and so, you know, I graduated vet school. I worked as a vet for several years uh, and I had thought it was my sort of purpose or my calling, but um, the I discovered first of all, that I didn't love medicine itself that much. So that was one struggle. Um, and the other is uh, being a veterinarian is a very difficult career. Um, you know, veterinarians have a much higher suicide rate than, than the average person. The job itself has so many challenges around ethics, um, you know, so you might uh, be faced with an animal that is young, needs some treatment or surgery that they could recover from, but the client doesn't have the money. And so you're left with these, you know, ethical struggles all the time. And so um, I think the, the the term for it is, you know, ethical fatigue. I think that's a, yes. a thing that vets suffer. So one thing that definitely influenced my writing was actually writing about that experience. You know, um, for me, writing and expressing how I felt during that time uh, was really therapeutic, um, but it also made for a very good story. So I, I wrote a creative nonfiction piece that was one of the first things I got published uh, it was in Room Magazine, and it was about my uh, my time in veterinarian college. And I think the other thing I would say is that, um, well, a couple other things. One is, uh, you know, be, being a veterinarian and spending time with people who have the, their companions, um, it's so clear how strong the human-animal bond is, you know, how important animals are to us, how much joy they can bring to our lives, what that relationship means to people. So I think I, you know, of course, I knew it for myself, but to see it in so many other people really validated it. Yes, and I, you have a, a, a cat and a dog. Yes, I have a cat that we don't have the dog any longer. Oh. Uh, so we just have one cat. But I think at my most, I had four cats and two dogs. Four but cats. <laughs> yeah, once I had children, <laughs> that calmed down a little bit. But yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's important for me to always have an animal. Um, and then I guess, you know, that time in veterinarian school, sort of learning about how society views and treats animals in different ways um, is a, is a, a topic that I visit a lot. Uh, you know, I write a lot about our troubled relationship with, with nature, how we think we're separate from nature, um, how we've lost our connection. And because of that, we're in this environmental crisis that we're in. Yes, yes, absolutely. I agree with you. And, and also that's one of my questions as well. 
how uh, challenging uh, having uh, to to connect that gap that we have as a human being with a non-human system for you as a having that experience as a veterinarian, all the the ethical um, issue that you explained to us, and also bring that to the in in the writing place. How uh, how was for you the acceptation maybe uh, to the other um, to the society uh, society or, or, or the readers maybe how do you find it was uh, it was accepted or, or they understood what do you try the the break that gap mm -hmm. yeah interesting question um you know i mentioned this piece of writing that i did that was creative nonfiction, but i would say that that's not really my genre <laughs> so i really uh, i really love to write fiction especially i love to write novels um, but i write, write a lot of short stories too and uh it's interesting because the very first bit of writing I did was right after I, I left um, my career and I was taking care of my young daughter. And I wrote these series of essays um, and they were all about animal rights and animal issues. And when I look back at them now, <laughs> I mean, they were very, very heartfelt. They were very genuine, but they also came across very didactic, like, like I was telling someone what they should believe or how they should believe things or you know, see what this experience of mine was. And then that means that everyone should feel this way. So they, they were, um, yeah, they were too didactic. They were too sort of uh, top heavy and writing fiction has been such a, a release or a gift for me because um, you're creating these characters and they're, you know, three dimensional and they might have some beliefs that match what I believe, but they might have other beliefs. They might, um, you know, take one issue that, you know, is important to me, I might sort of weave that into the story. But um, I think by connecting with an individual character, it's much easier to write about um, big issues like this. That's amazing. That's connect me with a, another uh, question I have here. The, I would like, uh, we, if you can share a little bit with our audience, what are the main topics that you are passionate about exploring about? And also talk about a little bit the, the Not Away Motel, the mm. novel. I, I have in my book list just a long time ago to read it. So I think I must say I didn't read it yet, but it's there in my in my list because I love it. It's feel like a, a very beautiful novel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, as you can imagine from our conversation so far, of course, one of the main theme themes or things that I write about are animals, you know, um, I was, I was just, I feel like I was born with some genetic predisposition to love animals. I don't know. And you, I know, Yanis, you love animals very much as well. Um, you know, so I was this kid who loved animals. Uh, you know, I grew up with, I mean, we had cats in the household and kittens and I, I really wanted a dog, but we got a guinea pig, but I love the guinea pig too, you know, <laughs> we had a rabbit. So, you know, just that childhood with animals and also reading about animals. Oh my goodness. There were so many books that I loved that had, um, you know, young, young women or girls who, you know, rescued animals. And I wanted mm -hmm. to be all of them, you know, of course, Charlotte's Web and 
um, uh, I'm thinking of books, that series of books by Monica Dickens called The House at World's End, where they have a bunch of kids who somehow have no parents and are just rescuing and, and <laughs> helping all these animals. Um, and so, so yeah, when I write, I still feel like there's that little kid inside of me who just loves animals so much and wants to write about, you know, the joy of animals and the excitement and the awe and, you know, the love for animals. Um, and then, of course, you know, I've mentioned a little bit about, you know, becoming an animal advocate, I guess, through some of my experiences, um, or, you know, around the way society treats animals. And so that's also a topic that I address. You know, we're talking about this little um, mm. book, the children's book that I've just written. Um, the topic that it addresses is mink farming. And I don't think a lot of people in Canada know how many fur farms we have in our country, how many different types of animals are farmed for fur, um, and also the connection to COVID because minks get COVID. And so in other countries, they've had to shut down um, fur farms. Um, some some countries have banned fur farming. And so, you know, that's an issue that I uh, is important to me. And I, I want people to know about it, but I don't want to come at it like, you, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have fur farms. It, it was so much, um, so much more sort of, I guess, creative energy that went into telling a story about a little girl who discovers that, oh my goodness, there's these animals on these fur farms and what can we do about it for her? Because she felt very passionate about it. So That's that for sure is something that I write about. That's an amazing point. What did you say? How sometimes or sometimes all the time, I'm sure, uh, literature or poetry or any other gender can help us to advocate for what we think. And it's a better way to uh, canalize all that energy, creative energy, in something more specific, find your purpose to, to write. Hmm. That's a good question. Good question. Uh, yeah. I, I guess, I guess you have to, you know, identify what your purpose is, at, you know, as you're trying to find your purpose. And I think for me, it's been kind of a, a circuitous route, um, you know, and my purpose, I think, has changed over time. Um, so, you know, when I did graduate vet school, I thought I thought that was my purpose. And it turned out it wasn't. Um, but that didn't mean the purpose was helping animals. I think that has always been a thread that runs through, but how I do that has changed. So, um, you know, I, I started doing animal advocacy work, which was very meaningful for me as well. When I had my daughters though, that brought a huge amount of purpose to my life. I, I felt very fulfilled. I know some people, um, some, uh, you know, family parents might struggle with that, you know, stay at home time and how, you know isolating it might be and also how like you you feel like you're sucked into motherhood like <laughs> nothing else exists um but for me it was a very very meaningful and fulfilling time and I mm. found a great deal of purpose being a mother um and then then I finally I came to writing you know I also did some teaching so teaching mm. became very important to me like once my kids were in school I started thinking about education and the education system and how you know, kids are sponges, right? They're just sucking mm. everything up and and how um, how their education influences them. So I actually did get involved in, in teaching kids in a lot of different ways about animals. Um, and that was meaningful for me as well. But writing, 
writing, I think, is is something that I would say that's my true purpose, this, this creative being that I am. Uh, and yeah, how did I end up as a writer? That's in, like, I'm trying to think, how did I, how did I find this purpose? <laughs> you know, I guess okay. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I always loved, right? I always loved books. So I think that perhaps is the core. I always loved reading so much. You know, when I was a kid, my bicycle, my books and animals, those are like <laughs> what made my world for me. Um, and that love of reading, I think, translated into, you know, a love of writing um, for me. Oh, sorry. Giannis, one of the other things that um, you will find a lot in my writing that I'd say the next most common theme is around mental illness. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, my father had a bipolar mood disorder. I have a bipolar mood disorder as well as an anxiety disorder. And it's had a huge impact on my life. You know, it had a huge impact on my childhood and then my own uh, struggles have had a big impact on my life and, and has limited me in some ways. And so, uh, you know, if I look at my body of work, like my novels, some aren't published yet, but uh, you know, the novels I've written and the short stories I've written, you know, I've written characters with PTSD, characters with anxiety, characters with psychosis, uh, characters with depression, characters with suicide ideation. And uh, it's really, really important to me. It's important to me because of the influences it had on me, um, you know, so it's my personal experience. But I think one of the reasons it's so important to me is because there's such stigma still around mental health, right? Around mental illness. And, you know, that stigma can lead to shame, right? And shame leads to, you know, you know, closing the door, like not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to share it, not wanting to admit it. Um, and so for me, it's kind of like, like, keeping that door open, you know, for myself personally, but also for people who are readers, you know, to read about characters who have these struggles, you know, and it's, it's a big part of their life and a big part of their identity. But at the same time, how, you know, maybe uh, we see all the other facets of their life. It's not just this, mm. it's all of this. So, you know, creating these characters that are three dimensional, and that, yeah, may have a mental illness, but may also be, you know, a fantastic artist or, you know, uh, an incredible mother. So um, that that's really important for me to write about. And then I guess that leads right into the Napaway Motel, because one of the, the characters is a teenager who has a, a psychotic break. That's part of um, the storyline. Um, you know, so that was just me weaving in, uh, you know, a little bit of um, my identity um, as someone who struggles with mental illness. But the novel, it's really interesting when I think about the novel. It's It's got three main characters. Well, actually four, really. But it's got a young teenager. It's got a child. Uh, and it's got a, a middle-aged Muslim man. Uh, and each of them really are me in a way. So, you know, the, the Muslim man is a father, very devoted to his family and very much based on how I feel about my daughters um, and how tight my family is. And then the little kid is this kid who, you know, she's just off doing her own thing. She has a very rich imagination. She makes up a lot of magical stories about things and she really loves animals. She finds a litter of kittens behind this motel that they're living in. So, you know, there's me again. And then the teenager is just, um, you know, they're, they're twins and the, the, the one twin has run away after this psychotic break. And so there's this teenager who's, who's trying to understand what has happened to their twin brother, trying to understand the mental illness and, and what it means. And, uh, 
um, how it has torn them apart, you know, much the way my family might be described as being torn apart by um, mental illness as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, the novel really connects a lot of those those parts of me together, I guess. Yeah, the opportunity to share that as well. No, it's very important. So other question here I would like to uh, is about, uh, as you see, my podcast, I have a motherhood uh, subject, very clear. <laughs> and I would like to to to, talk, to ask you how uh, you balance or how was that time? Now your kids are big, uh, your daughters. But how you was, um, how was the challenge to balance that uh, that time, the career as a mother, as a, a as a writer, as a, a full-time worker as well. No, we call that because we work all the time. Uh, yes. So, so how you balance that? If you have some tips or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting to think back and remember that time. You know, my daughters mm -hmm. are in their 20s now and I'm like, oh, you know, they <laughs> seem like different people than those children that they were. But um, I, uh, I chose to stay at home for quite a few years when my daughters were little. So, um, I went back when my youngest, uh, was in grade one, I think. So there was a period of time there was where I was only working at home or from home. And that was the time when I started to write really seriously. Um, and I guess one of the things that, uh, was a discovery for me was that uh, not a discovery, but a learning curve, I guess was um, that I could do these writing in these little bursts. You know, I'd have the one daughter off in kindergarten, the other one would be having a nap and I'd sit down on my computer <laughs> and start writing, you know? So I I learned very, very quickly to, to write whenever that opportunity arose. You know, some people need, you know, oh, you've got to have the tea here and you've got to have this beautiful little mm. cottage in your backyard that has, you know, flowers all around it. No, like I was at the kitchen table, dirty dishes, laundry, and there I was writing a story. So it, the nice thing is that that skill carried through. So I can very easily just sit down at my computer. And if I've been working on a story, it's in my mind, right? It's, yes. it's percolating up there and it will just, you know, spill out. So uh, that for sure was one way I came through that challenge. Yeah. That's uh, that's amazing. You mentioned that uh, type the writer, because when I say uh, to the normal people or to the other people they're not in the writing uh, or the artists, uh, well, you say, oh, I am a writer. I am. Oh, you live. No, no, no. That's not the real <laughs> no. life. The real life we have to carve any moment you have and write. Yeah. And more when you decide to be a mother or parents or family, it's another <laughs> you have to do anytime. Yeah. And yes, it's nice that you mentioned that because for me, it's the, uh, I wrote in my head all the time and then try to pass that uh, by hand or, or in the computer while I'm in the dishes doing the kitchen stuff. <laughs> Yes, That's my time there. Sometimes put the notes down, and yes, thank you so much for telling that. That's amazing. Uh, now let's go to keep talking. I, I would like to have more longer conversation and have like a dedicate to your writing because that's the now your main focus, right? So I would like to know uh, what uh, who are the biggest uh, influence in your career as an author I know you have uh, 
avid reader. As I saw before, you mentioned a lot of the authors and um, like me, we love reading all the time. So uh, that's a hard question, I know. <laughs> but yeah, if you mentioned a few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many uh, I know. people that I can think of. Um, <laughs> but I'm thinking of people that have um, inspired me, maybe not just as an author, but as a person. And I guess as uh, someone who loves animals and advocates for them as well. So the the first person, you know, who is someone I, I admire so much is Jane Goodall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she she went off and, you know, lived in the jungle and studied chimpanzees. And of course, I, I wish, you know, when I knew about her, I wished, oh, I wish that was me. I wish I could have had that opportunity. But she, um, you know, she's a prolific author. She's written many, many books, mm-hmm. um, some directly about chimpanzees, but some just about our world and about the state of our world. Uh, and she often writes and speaks about hope, you know, and I think uh, that's a really powerful message because we're in a, we're in a time where a lot of people feel very hopeless about the future, um, feel like there's nothing they can do, feel like, you know, this, this crisis that we're in is, you know, has an inevitable ending and it's not a good ending. And she speaks, she speaks out to that, I think. Um, so, you know, I've admired her. I've met her a couple of times um, and just, yeah, just influenced me as a writer, I guess, just to to write my own truths. You know, she doesn't write fiction, but that doesn't mean it doesn't speak to her as a storyteller. Um, and also, you know, I guess really, you know, living a life of in line with what she values. I think that's what I really admire. That's beautiful. Yes, we yeah. have that in common. I love her as well. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, uh, uh, being aligned with or value, as you mentioned, is the hard topic. Yes. Uh, the hard as a human being. And, mm-hmm. and yes, thank you. Yeah. And then uh, I'm thinking of another author uh, who, again, didn't just influence me, you know, as a writer or, or to become a writer, but um, it was uh, her sort of politics. So her name's Carol J. Adams. Um, She's written uh, many nonfiction books. And the one that I read when I was in my very young 20s was called The Sexual Politics of Meat. And it's about women and it's about animals and it's about meat eating and it's about violence towards women. Uh, And just, uh, you know, I I hadn't read anything like that before and I was so taken with it. Uh, And it really shaped my politics. Um, You know, my, my, interest around um you know the intersectionality of mm. oppression right uh you know so it, yeah for me it was sort of like whoa you know really eye-opening um and again you know she's a very prolific prolific author um she writes what she believes in um you know she's influenced many many people with her feminism and her veganism sort of combined together uh, she does this slideshow that is quite shocking. You know, it, it, if anyone is interested, it's very worthwhile looking up. Just some of the images that you start to see how we might treat um, women and animals and people of color. You know, it, the hierarchy, right? Like yes. in patriarchy, there's, you know, nature is is le- less than and women are less than and animals are less than. So uh, really interesting to think about for me. That's wonderful. No, definitely. Uh... We have to check that, and and yes, yes, I will uh, 
put in the in the link there as well oh yeah great. all the books that you mentioned yes yes i i love to do that because sometimes uh, we have to get back to the really uh, topics that still uh, 20 years ago we are still fighting for the same mm, issue yes. and and for me it's as a mother it's kind of a shock all the time when I have to explain to my daughter a few subjects like uh, the eating uh, the food we eat or body or or mental health or relationship with uh, the world surrounded how we can balance that mm -hmm. and be uh, be sincere and be like yes. it's not just for social media or for writing yeah. nice thing is to be aligned as you say before with your value as a human but also also as a common person as a yes. human <laughs> human yeah. being i always like to say human being i because we are human we have no other things yeah um Yes. Yeah, I like that about being being authentic, right? Authentic, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> I was yeah. authentic. Yes, I had. We can talk a little bit. Uh, as we say, we live in this <laughs> complex uh, moment. How do you get your resilience from? Uh, you mentioned hope. I can see, and I know you always enjoy nature like me yes <laughs> so tell uh, um, tell us a little bit where yeah. did you get that resilient and how you encourage because that's part of the yeah it's it's a very interesting question for me um Giannis because my first reaction to it is to say I, I'm not I'm not resilient, uh, you know, and I guess that's interesting for me to unpack a little bit. You know, oh, if I'm describing my personality, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't say I'm resilient, but of course I am resilient. So it was just interesting the little mm, I guess the thoughts that that popped up there. Um, but you know, I have for sure gone through very difficult experiences and trying times, and uh, and I I do have resilience, and I think. Perhaps one of the biggest uh, things that helps me be resilient is actually my writing. Um, you know, even though I'm writing fiction, a lot of times I'm writing about things that have affected me. And sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I'll look at the story later and I'll be like, oh, oh, that story was about this, you know, this <laughs> thing in my life. So, uh, you know, I guess one example I would give is the first novel that I wrote and I wrote it, um, you know, when my daughters were young. Uh, and it was a story about a woman who loses her daughter at, at a very young age. So she she's uh, struggling with the death of her child. And that's not an experience I've had. But I think partly having those two vulnerable little babies, you know, kind of opened my heart up in a way that made me feel so vulnerable. I thought, what if I lost them? So I guess there was the fear there of, mm. of losing them. But the story was about grief. And I was struggling with a lot of grief uh, at that time. I had three losses kind of back to back. Um, my father, who had a, a brain tumor, was in palliative care, and he died very slowly. And so there was the loss of my father. And attached to that was a lot of um, stuff around you know, my past relationship with him as well. And then I lost my soulmate dog, my very first dog that I ever rescued. 
uh, and that broke my heart too. And then I had a miscarriage and those three things kind of became one thing, you know, this, this huge grief that I was carrying and, you know, I'm sure Giannis, you've had your griefs as well. And I'm sure your listeners, you know, each of us have had our griefs and that can be a really difficult thing to, to overcome, I guess, overcome is not the right word, but to, to sort of, uh, yeah, to accept it and to heal from it and to have it not be like all consuming, right? It, it, it begins to settle down a little bit and you can open yourself up to doing more things and, you know, getting involved with more things. And so I think writing about grief uh, was really therapeutic and really helped my resilience in terms of, you know, healing from my own grief. That's um, that's beautiful that you mentioned that, and I'm sorry for for that. For oh, your thank you. <laughs> no, um, yes, we all have grief, and and I find that talk about and write about is the best way to to grow that mm. another dimension and maybe yeah. help us to to a little bit. Uh, we say in Spanish sanar, uh, it's like a heal, but sanar is like a more deep. Yeah, so, I'm trying to find it, another word and I can't find yeah, it. So maybe that's the word I was looking for. I don't I know, sanar. Know. I, I like sanar because it's like another, it doesn't mean about the heal, but more yeah. deep when you have something more yeah. that you can find everywhere. Yeah. No? Yeah, this past summer, I read uh, this most amazing book. Um, I can't remember the author's name, but the book title is The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Uh, and it's about grief. The whole book was about grief. And uh, I just uh, learned so much. You know, I didn't I didn't know a lot about all the different sort of types of grief we might have, but also uh, just around all these wonderful sort of um, ways to honor it to honor it, you know, to really acknowledge it and honor it. Um, and so that that's a book I'd recommend. I'll, I can email you the author's name. Yes, later. please. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We will yeah. And then in terms of resilience, the other thing that um, has really helped with my resilience is being part of like a, a mindfulness meditation community. Mm -hmm. So I've been part of it for over 10 years and uh, learned, learned, you know, the value of meditation, the value of mindfulness you know, I meditate every day, but I'm also, uh, you know, I do, like you said, I, you know, I go walking in nature and when I do, I try so hard to be present, you know, to be, you know, aware of my surroundings and all the beautiful gifts that are there, you know, a, you know, a kingfisher flying over the river or, you know, the little scuttle of a, a little squirrel that stops and looks at me, you know, just being in the moment. Um, and so I think that, that, that routine and that practice and that habit really helps a lot. You know, when I'm like, you know, my mind is going with catastrophic thoughts or, you know, feeling, you know, feeling hopeless or helpless or despair, any of those very challenging emotions that we try to get rid of or distract from or run away from just to sit with them, just to be like, oh, you know what? Yeah. Hey, you know, grief is here right now and, and, and despair is here right now and that's okay. They can be here because they're not going to stay, <laughs> you know, everything changes, you know, you just, you just have to, uh, you know, allow, allow certain feelings to be there with you, you know. That uh, you're right. And I agree, of course, with you, with all the stuff you say. 
And I I would like to talk about a little bit more about meditation because now it's mm -hmm. um like a trending topic. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> but as uh, you mentioned, you have been ten years in in this practice, and I, the other day I realized I have been like a more than twenty years in Cuba since Cuba. I started to do yoga, Reiki, and, mm -hmm. and other practice. Who is almost all connect. Of online. course, of course, yeah. And like I say, before for me it was like a my daily life, uh, daily routine. And, yeah. And now is everybody talk about that? Let's go to break down a little bit. Uh, how helpful is for you uh, have that habit? The meditation is health to your writing. Is health to your mental mm -hmm. health, as you mentioned. But what others uh, benefits you find uh, having good for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. And I think, you know, we often within the group, we talk about like, why are we meditating? Why are we doing this? Exactly. And we're doing it to decrease our suffering because <laughs> we suffer so much and we, we often make ourselves suffer more than we need to. Um, and so I think, I think just acknowledging that like, wow, you know, I have this suffering or this struggle, just being able to acknowledge that it's normal to feel that way, that we all feel that way, that, you know, it's a human condition. Um, and, and by doing so, you know, you can not make it worse, I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, and then the other idea I think with, with the practice, um, is, is really about that being in the present moment, you know, not being caught up in regrets from the past, not being caught up in worries about the future, uh, just being here in the moment. And then as we do that and we make it a habit and it becomes something that, you know, appears in our life, like not just when we're doing like a formal practice, but we might be doing something informal, like just taking a quick breathing break or something. But the more that I've practiced and the more that I have acknowledged my suffering and tried to, you know, help myself and be self-compassionate, um, the more I'm able to do the things that I want to do and that I value and that, you know, I think each of us have gifts, you know, and we have gifts that we want to give to the world or um, things that we're passionate about or things that, um, you know, are our purpose. But if you're struggling and suffering with, you know, whatever, um, you can't be on that path, right? So just, yeah, big picture, you know, trying to just reduce our suffering a little bit. Not Have you heard about the second arrow, that idea? The oh. Uh, so the first arrow is whatever terrible thing happens. But then we often will shoot ourselves with a second arrow. Like, why did this happen to me? And I didn't deserve this. And this is so terrible, you know, and we make the suffering worse. <laughs> yes, uh, that's, that's the, I, the reason I ask it back in that question because I I tell mostly the time is most how we spend the time thinking about the what really happened. Yes, and and that's a drain our energy. Yes, to write exactly. or to create or to enjoy our family or to enjoy, and that's something I realize and I try to be aware when I catch myself in that kind of talk. Say no 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 no. Yeah. Stop and and do that you are here yeah. now we are here in this moment recording this so yeah. that's yeah. the only thing I have to think not yeah. the rest <laughs> that's yeah it. And yeah the other thing 
is is the idea of flow activities that are flow activities mm. um so i read this book and it was about uh you know struggling with ruminating you know these repetitive thoughts and especially repetitive negative thoughts um and you know it was a long book and it was actually geared to psychologists so it was a little bit heavy but uh you know the the few sort of tips one was you know being self-compassionate for all that ruminating but the other was um engaging in flow activities those activities that you do where you kind of lose sense of self you lose sense mm -hmm. of time you're just in this moment you know and that might be for some people you know dancing or playing music or you know swimming or uh you know playing um playing me, yeah playing is a big one for me as well you know I, I still play with my 20 year old daughter all the time <laughs> but um uh writing itself is a flow activity for me you know it, mm. it helps get me out of my head I mean I guess I'm going into somebody else's head but <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah so, they, yeah that, that's amazing yeah I, I love that um how we can connect that with it or creative process now as well yes and and that's an amazing idea thank you so to share that the flow activity just valuing play and for most adults you know kids I wouldn't say kids value play I think they just do they play. don't care <laughs> right so but it's not they're not really aware of it but you know a lot of adults lose the the ability to just you know be spontaneous and just engage in in these playful activities you know like going out and climbing a tree or taking you know stepping mm -hmm. stones of rocks across a river when you're on your walk or you know any kind of play the simple things in life yeah mm -hmm. I, I call that like a very things we we lost like we haven't talked all this time about the or lost connection with the nature mm -hmm. and yeah. that's, that's something um I know is your big subject as well and for me as well yeah, I, I try all the time to get back to that and talk about that and be aware that that is important part. And it's not a trending topic now. It's like <laughs> everywhere. And I feel like, oh, my God, every time I think something I want to post in, in social media, it's like everybody having been... <laughs> like, really in this case. Yeah. Anyway, but it's good. It's a collective tool. And, and I really would like to see more. Mm -hmm. about that energy now that we are all thinking that nature is important for for us now yeah but talk about nature i would like to get back to talk a uh, about our connection with animal as a as you say you are a lifelong animal lover and also a, a long time vegan a uh, what what you can discover or or having observing uh, your interaction with non-human animals, uh, if you have some uh, teaching, wise, I call wise teaching, mm. <laughs> if you have some, how you connect that two things as a lifelong uh, learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because one of the things that popped into my head was just reading and learning about animals, which mm. is a little bit different, though, than actually interacting with animals, right? Um, and I love to do both, of course. I love to learn about animals, and I love to interact with them and um, have them in my life. So I think one of the things that pops into my mind is my relationship with the companion animals, the animals that are in my home, um, and how uh, 
I get like I'm thinking of a dog, you know, when you leave the house and you come home, that dog greets you with the same enthusiasm every single time, you know, the tail's going, the butt's wiggling, you know, the tongue (laughs) is out. And I think we have a lot to learn from that, right? Like, can we love with sort of that open heart that that these animals have, you know? And also we've been talking about mindfulness, meditation, like being in the moment. And I think, again, animals bring us into the present moment, you know? Like I'm thinking of meditating, but the cat's right there and, and you know, the little warm body pressed against my leg and the purring, um, it really helps just bring me into the present moment. You know, he, here's this cat, this 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 living being, this, this little bit of consciousness right here beside me. So that's one thing. And then I guess the other... I guess it relates to what you were just saying about, you know, when you're in the natural world trying to connect. Uh, And I think, like, I'm thinking of moments when I've encountered animals that have seemed magical, like they're moments that, you know, I know I will remember them forever. Um, And one happened just, uh, just two years ago, I was in Oregon, and I was um, kayaking on this river estuary. Um, so I was crossing from sort of the mainland onto this little spit. And then over that was where the ocean was. Uh, and so I was kayaking. I was in the middle. So like maybe five minutes out and five minutes to get to the other side. And I heard this sound, this like kind of sound and it, like this whoosh. And then I heard this slap and I was like, ah, oh, what's happening? Because <laughs> I couldn't see anything. And it, there were seals popping up in the water all around me. And you know, their little faces are so sweet and dog-like, you know, the, mm. uh, you know, little whiskered face. With yeah. the <laughs> and they seem so curious, right? They were looking at me and I just had this moment, a very profound connection to the water, the river, the ocean, the trees on the other side, the seals all around me, this huge um, uh, bit of land that went up to this overlook that was, you know, this, this, this trail climbing up that way, uh, you know, and myself and myself is part of this, you know, it wasn't that I was separate from it and I was watching it all. I was like in the moment with these animals. And the, the other thing that, that, that makes me think is how connected those animals are to their world you know they belong in the wild they they are part of the wild you know it's like the water is in them and they are in the water kind of thing um and that's what we've lost that's what we've lost as a society that that real connection to our world because look at all the trouble we're in with the way that you know we treat forests and animals and the ocean and think of all our pollution and and think of us thinking we're outside of nature or better than nature or, or, you know, separate from nature, you know, that's, I feel like the root of a lot of our problems as a society. Yes, absolutely uh, true. And I, I agree. That's something we have to keep working more hard, <laughs> individual and collective and yeah. and do that uh, to bring a better planet, a better mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. air. It's yeah. not never too late. It's kind of sad every time I read the news the, about how of course the level the all all the stuff happening around and we can see it in moment in, in this moment. So it's something yes, we have to be more aware every day what we yeah. consume as a practice yeah. as well. Yeah, um, and I guess too, like the interconnectedness of everything. 
Mm-hmm. I think we, we don't acknowledge that, like, you know, how dependent we are on each other and dependent we are on the natural world and how we're connected to it. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of Thich Nhat Hanh writing about um, what he calls interbeing, you know, he's like uh, the piece of paper has sunshine in it and it has yeah. the tree in it and it has water in it and you know it's it's interbeing with all of these things that it it couldn't exist without these these things um so i really love thinking about things like that yes yes no absolutely we have to to do maybe another episode only to talk about that because that's <laughs> a, a big big thing yeah and and i think we have to break down that kind of more a uh, slow to the people can understand uh, how impact is we are all connected we are all the same that we are uh-huh. even uh, whatever things we think but uh, that's something we have to uh, be aware all uh-huh. the time that and something I, I just realized that when you describe the seal moment do you write about that do you have some stories that we we can enjoy soon? <laughs> Do you know what? I wrote about it, but I wrote about it um, uh, not in, like, I, I didn't sit down to write about it. I'm part of a writing community um, with the Writers Collective of Canada. And mm-hmm. each Friday, I co-facilitate a writing group. And basically, you know, we all get together and we get a writing prompt. And then we write to that writing prompt in 15 minutes. Um, and... I remember, I can't remember the poem that inspired it, but I did write about the seals in that um, that journal, but I haven't, um, you know, so I keep that writing separate, I guess, from my prof- professional writing. Yeah. Um, so that's writing that I do just in a playful way, you know, in a spontaneous way. Sometimes I'll take something from there and I might incorporate it into a story, but mostly I don't because I, I just want to keep alive that sort of... Um, value of creativity as something separate from I guess a career or making money do you know what I mean like I don't want to lose that that absolute you know love of um, being creative in the moment yes yes I I I agree with you you know we're not stuck in one place and especially the more years that you live the more you may find (laughs) different things that bring purpose to your life for sure absolutely absolutely and also the energy that when you publish something and then the experience the that publication we didn't talk about that but maybe it has to invite you again because <laughs> we we have been uh, fooling around with other questions but yeah there's yes, so public- much to talk about for sure yes I, I love to have you again in another moment to talk about publication and mm-hmm. how yeah but let's go maybe close with them if you have uh, what is the most re- rewarding moment for you as a published author? Oh, huh. That's a good <laughs> question. I, I would have to say the, the publication of the Napaway Motel. So uh, writing a novel, editing and revising a novel, getting accepted by a publisher, and having having this novel. And actually, do you know what? Even more so than having the novel published was when I found it in the the Toronto Public Library. My heart just swelled. I was so, I guess, honored. I was just thrilled, you know. Here was this this book that I've created and 
I love the library. I, I am so devoted to the library. And there was yes. my book in the library. That that was really a pivotal moment for me. I think that's a dream for us now. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. Yes. Oh, that's good. Um, did you have some advice for for emerging writer for people who listen to us today yeah. and want to write and I know you're an amazing teacher because <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I mean there's so many um bits of advice that I could give um uh and certainly it's a little bit different in terms of you know I want to I want the craft of writing versus I want to be a writer and get published as a writer I think you know there's different things that are involved in both of those but I, I guess maybe I'll just talk about for myself personally so um there was a point in my I guess it was in my late 40s and I was just kind of like you know what do I want the rest of my life to be like I was I guess like a little midlife crisis kind of thing <laughs> and I was like oh I, you know I want to write I want to take my writing more seriously I want to uh, actually publish a, a book um, and so one of the things that was really valuable for me was was to find the writing community. And there's lots and lots of ways you can do that, you know, but simply taking that first writing course, I took a writing course um, with the Humber School from Writers. Oh, it's more than 10 years ago now. Uh, and the instructor was Wayson Choi. And um, I went into that oh, yeah. program. Um, you know, it was a, a one week intensive, but I went in, you know, as someone who loved to write and I came out with this identity, like I am a writer. It was really powerful for me. Um, but getting involved in, you know, so taking courses or classes, um, but connecting with other writers, um, being part of a critique group has uh, been for me really a great experience. I've had um, a group of people that I met in that uh, writing class that we stayed connected. Um, so for over 10 years now, we've been a writing group, which has been really wonderful. Um, I would say reading is invaluable to becoming a writer. Yes. <laughs> you know, the more you read, I think the better of a writer you will be um, just by exposing yourself to different styles, different voices, you know, different ways of telling stories. I think that really can open you up as a writer. Publishing, I think, I think the big thing is to one, to start small. Don't set your sights on, you know, I'm going to get published in the New Yorker or something like that. Just, <laughs> There's many, many like small, um, wonderful um, magazines in Canada. Um, I think the CBC publishes a list of them. And uh, so, yeah, that would be one piece of advice around publishing. The other would be, though, um, is not to send a piece out until it's really, really polished. Mm -hmm. So I know it's very exciting after you finish something to think, OK, this is so great. I'm going to send it out. It needs to be um you need yes. to let some other people read it. <laughs> you, you know, from our from <laughs> our time together, Yanis, during um, our time uh, writing and reading about animals, um, you know, we shared our work with each other and people point out things that you didn't notice, you know. And I know for me, sometimes I've written something and there's a missing piece that I know in my head, but the reader doesn't know. Yes, and so yes. that's a big one to catch. Like people get confused. They're like, well, how did this happen? Um, so right, readers might be confused, they might be bored, they might, um, you know, be able to point out where the, the writing is awesome. It's like an ABC. It's like, this is, yes. a, this is boring. This is confusing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but it's, it's amazing you mentioned that because that's something uh, I always try to, to tell and be myself aware 
the it's not when you finish we can all get down 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 low i said download from your head to the paper or to the computer but you have to take your time and editing and revision revision yes and yeah. I, I, many authors talk about that the revision yeah. is the most important yeah. and it's not just one revision yeah, <laughs> so you don't just like go through and be like okay now i've now i've done it um, yes. It's really hard to revise uh, your work if you have never done it. Um, and so sometimes, you know, there'll be just this little sort of timid revising where you're like, change some words, right? Or, you know, take out a sentence. But sometimes the revising has to be really brutal, like a giant restructure or, you know, I, I know writing the novel that I just wrote most recently, um, I was struggling with one character and I'd written these 40 pages of, you know, her experience. It was partway midway through the novel. Uh, and then I read this um, wonderful book uh, by George Saunders. I can't quite think of the title. Something about rain. Rain is in the title. Sorry, the title's not coming to me. But it's, okay. it's, it's okay. a book about the writing life and about mm. learning to become a writer and learning um, how to critique it. And one of the things he said was, you know, we look for causality. We, we look for reasons. Like, why did this happen? Why is this character doing this? How is this connected? And I realized this entire chunk of the novel had no, it didn't connect to anything. It didn't relate to the beginning of the novel. It was more just like, um, like a description or a synopsis of her day-to-day -day life for a little bit of time. And yes. I had to rip out those 40 pages, like just gone. And that's hard to do, right? When you have invested so much in them, like I would have liked just to like tweak it a little bit, but no, I had to pull the whole thing out and write something new. So yeah. The, that's the that's the hard part that's yeah the, it is the hard part you know there there might be something that a sentence that you adore you know you love it you think it's the best thing you've ever written and someone will be like this doesn't make sense at this point in the story or whatever you know so yeah that revising it's good to put it aside revise put it aside revise um you know if you do have like some beta readers or a critique group mm -hmm. that really helps so if you're trying to get published you want that to be the best version of this piece of writing that you can make Absolutely. That is an amazing uh, tip. And I really um, recommend to listen this very careful because it's true. It's true. Sometimes we saw an amazing book, they are published, but we don't know behind how yes. many times, uh, how they struggle. Yes. So we only saw, we read like, oh my God, this is perfect. Yes. But no, when we we connect and know the the behind the scene no how was the writing process how long took because yeah. i feel sometimes the pressure that we have uh, as our author is published all the time and published everywhere and and, and sometimes i i feel like I, I am a slow writer and i start to honor that myself because i was kind of uh, struck with that uh, a little bit but I find like a group that the other authors who say, no, I am slow too. I don't have to publish every month or every week or every yeah. Yeah. year. So that's something uh, the, so we have to talk more because not everybody talk, everybody talk like a, the ideal writing, publishing pathway straight. Yes. <laughs> but it's not a real. So yeah. That's yeah. amazing, Nahad. I, I can be talking with you all day. <laughs> That's the truth. I love it. We, uh, but we kind of, uh, I want to be mindful with your time and also with our audience as well. And please, 
Uh, as I say in the beginning, check the Nahad website. You will find a lot of beautiful writing and a beautiful photo of her with a uh, so cute cat. Oh, <laughs> yes. I love, it. I love that. <laughs> and you can see. Uh, so uh, having a such a pleasure this afternoon and connect with you. Thank you so much for your time. And yes, I hope we can keep talking and we should talk. A program is open for you always, anytime you want to come back. So oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much for your um, your great questions. Wow, it, it took the conversation in all these different directions, not, not all of them that I expected to go down, but really interesting, you know, um, and I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. And thank you so much for having me as a guest here. It's wonderful. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you now. Thank you for, for your time. And I really... I think what I appreciated so much is the intersection between like life and art. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yes. not just about the creative process, but about being a, a fuller human being, you know? Yes. Oh, thank you for telling me that because that's my intention. My mm -hmm. purpose with this uh, conversation is not yeah. only show up the artist part or only the, or pause as a creator. It's yeah. as a human. Yes. That's my intention. You catch yeah. very well the energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the energy.